You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. Best which way, what, when, how? Mr. Auto D flip the track right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me uh, on this beautiful Monday evening here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, broadcasting live from Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Network Studios, high above Camelback Road. And my guest on the Otto D Show this evening is one of the baddest female rock singers to ever hit the stage. She's a Juno Award winner and my, personally, my favorite Canadian by far, the incredible Sass Jordan. And I'm so excited to have another chance to visit with her and, and have an opportunity to share this with you. And Sass will be with us right after this tune from the Fervor Records collection called You Belong by the Pistoleros. Be right back. Standing's not a sin Just hope and dream And everything in between And that was You Belong by Fervor Records recording artist The Pistolero is here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you this evening by Fervor Records, a company that I like to call the TV and film industry's favorite musical playground. 
and Fauna Films storytelling with a bit of a stretch. And without further ado, let me introduce to you a woman with a voice that no one should really have to live without, the witty and wonderful Sass Jordan. Sass, how are you doing? <laughs> Woohoo! I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How's that for an intro? <laughs> you are witty and wonderful. <laughs> so are you, Otto. So, so are you, kiddo. So right now you are sitting in some place in Canada where the weather is probably freezing cold. Boy, are you ever wrong. It's 24 <laughs> degrees centigrade. I don't even know what that is in Fahrenheit. I can never figure it out. Mm-hmm. Either it's one or the other, but it's warm. It's gorgeous. It's the, it's the warmest it's been this year. It's insane. I'm out on the deck. Woo! Oh, awesome. The squirrels and creatures and, and the river running. It's so, beautiful. Well, it's not a river. It's a creek. Uh-huh. A creek or a creek? <laughs> a creek. creek. <laughs> so, yeah, I call creek a creek. I, was say, I, I don't know if creek is an American thing or a southern thing or just on random town to town. So I think I grew up with, with creek instead of creek myself. <laughs> so listen, it was wonderful having an opportunity to, to visit with you this last week when you were actually down in Phoenix, Arizona. That was a lot of fun. And that was insane. And Especially what, considering the fact that we were in a recording studio that backed right onto an airport, <laughs> and we, there were like airplanes going right by the window, like right by it. I think you're, you're out. expecting the Uber Eats to come down there instead. Of, it's a it's a jet, you know. Um, and that when, was, on that project, that was an interesting project. Um, I, there's an event coming up in Nashville. Are you going to be at the the Ryman mm-hmm. event as well? That's that's the scuttlebutt. Ah, okay. So we can't talk about that. <laughs> It's, good oh, thing, I, it's a good no, thing nobody listens to this show. <laughs> Almost blew it. <laughs> can we no, talk? No, of course you can talk about. Of course we can talk about the show. Uh, no problem. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it's uh, the great benevolent artist national charity event happening in Nashville on the 29th right, of and, May. And that organization is uh, typically referred to as Bank as well. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Uh, just because it sounded like quite a quite a colorful description without realizing that's the actual name of the organization. So, and uh, do, yeah. do you want to tell me a little bit about the organization or your affiliation with Bank? Well, it's it's um, this fabulous character, Jim Carter from Calgary, Canada, who is among other things. Like, I mean, this guy does so many different things, but he is a philanthropist extraordinaire. And he created this band to do these events where we raise all kinds of money for fabulous different organizations, like, well, charities, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been an extraordinary adventure so far, I have to say. We've had such a blast. Cool. Well, I hope to get out to the to the show in Nashville. He's invited me, so it's hard to say no. It's going to sounds like it's going to be a heck of an event. And then, oh uh, yeah. So let's you know when I first met Sass Jordan, and I can't remember who turned me on to your music, but um, I, I'm guessing I'm thinking it was my brother because once in a while he would call me from Houston, and tell me I have to listen to somebody, and I would do that because he's my brother. So uh, since I can't remember where it came from, I'm assuming it was him, but. Um, I listened to Rats and Racine for years, really, really enjoyed them, so it was a thrill to have an opportunity to meet you. And I, I realized <laughs> that last year you did a, you kind of did a re-release on vinyl of Racine 25. That's right. Tell me Racine l- Revisited. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what that project was like for you. It was 
see, the, the thing was, I had no idea that 25 years had gone by. I know, they go they, so fast. I, like, seriously, uh, what? And it was my dear manager, Peter, who said, Sass, this is the 25th anniversary. We should do something for this. And I was like, uh, okay, that, yeah, we should. Good Lord. I'm still around and kicking. you got to respect that right there. Exactly. <laughs> and um, and I don't, I think, not. you know, we went through the usual list of what can we do, blah, 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 and then came to another usual thing, which is to, to, to um, remaster or to re-release the record. And then we thought, you know, what could we do that would give it a different twist? You know, something so that it's, it's not too different from the original, because that's what people liked. Mm-hmm. And, but still make it interesting, like different. Now, when I had originally recorded it in 1992, I, we were going for a sound that would be, you know, sort of <laughs> a, approach, like really real, mm-hmm. real sounding, you know? And I thought, well, what can I do in 2018, or excuse me, 2017, because it was, mm-hmm. I'm confused. You know, what I, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what, could, what could we do to make it sound slightly different? So I thought, why don't we just make it even crazier? Why don't we just go in and record it as if we were in the 70s, which is when I would have really liked to have recorded that record. You know what I mean? Let's mm-hmm. make it sound as if it's a seventies record. <laughs> and that's and that was the the goal and that's I think what we achieved on it. It really it, it it's it's some of the arrangements are slightly different from the original version because I've been doing the songs live now for, you know, twenty five years mm-hmm. and some of the live arrangements just work better mm-hmm. than they did on the on the original record before I'd ever played it the stuff live, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the story in as small of a nutshell as I can make it. That's an incredibly unique perspective on, a, on redoing or revisiting a record to actually go back 25 years, pick it up, and take it back 10 farther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never, never heard of anybody even Classic. trying that. That's pretty cool. Uh, did you use some of the same people on, the, on your revisited no. version? Okay, well, who played on the no. new record? The play, on the new record, it's... Um, well, Derek Sharp produced it, and he's playing all the guitars and the keyboard parts. Mm-hmm. Not all the, excuse me, he's not playing all the guitars. What am I saying? Chris Goodell, my live guitar player, uh, or one of the ones that I use live the most, is one of the guitar players on it. So it's Chris and Derek are on guitars. Uh, we got Rudy Sarzo on bass, the fabulous Rudy Sarzo, mm-hmm. who, you know, we all love and adore. And, um, and who the heck else is on it? Let me even, oh! For goodness sake, Brent Fitz is on drums. Mm-hmm. Another guy I just love. Cool. And we just had such a blast, just all together in that one room, recording it live. It was it was insane. Well, I can't imagine working on a project with you and, and everybody not having a blast. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a card, and <laughs> you're always right there and, and ready to have fun. Uh, so it's, it's I can just imagine how it went. But also, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to share with you, when you talked about Rudy uh, Sarzo, um, yeah. When when you were down in Phoenix, and we had a bass player come in to play, uh, Mel Brown, who's actually been he's been like on the twenty of the top forty smooth jazz records every year out here. Uh, he's he's constantly does a lot of that stuff. But he came up as a as a as a rock and roll bassist, and I didn't realize he was such a fan of Rudy's. 
And he started telling me, man, the first time he saw him on TV, and it was an Ozzy concert, he said, I went and started studying the guy. I've got like 60 of his bass lines memorized, and I had to pull out any time I to pull him out. He's a huge, huge fan. And so I thought that wow. was, a, I know, I thought that was pretty cool that he ended up tracking oh, with you goodness. on this project. <laughs> and, uh, and he was such a fan. Um, wanted to share that. And then also, oh. go ahead and tell me a little bit about uh, Derek, because Derek's out working, and, and you guys uh, must have difficult schedules. Oh, yeah, it's insane. I mean, like, but when you, like, we knew we had a two-week window to do it. We, we did it in Calgary, in Calgary, Canada, in a fabulous studio called OCL. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we had it all, I mean, it wasn't like we had to really, you know, do a, a whole bunch of new arrangements. It's stuff we've been doing, because Derek plays with me live sometimes, too. And he, I mean, that's how I met him in the first place, mm-hmm. is that we, he was in my band. Um, and it, he, so, I mean, the guy is such an extraordinary musician and talent. So it was, it, it, it really came together super easy. And the fact that, of the matter is, is that Derek and Rudy are playing together currently in, in the Guess Who, mm-hmm. in the new version of the Guess Who, too. So it's like, and sometimes Brent Setz plays in the new version of the Guess Who, too. So the outsiders were me and Chris Cadell. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. So now let me ask you about a project you did just before that. I think the year before you did a project called Something Unto Nothing. Oh yeah, actually that was 2014. Oh okay, and how did that come about? It's a little while ago. Well, that it's it's really what it is is it's a partnership project with my friend Brian Tishy, the amazing drummer who played on High Road Easy. Actually, he played on the whole record of um, Rats. Mm back in 1993 and we had been wanting to work together for quite a while i and i'll say it was quite a while it went from 1993 to 2014 <laughs> like that's a bit of a while if you know what i mean however in my world that's like don't blink mm-hmm. but still so so, the, so we got together in ls place mm-hmm. and started writing and when we started to write it was like this insane fountain of creativity. We wouldn't even barely get a song finished before we'd be starting the next one. Sometimes we'd be writing a new one right in the middle of, of one we were writing. And I mean, it happened so quickly and we had so much fun doing it. And basically it's just him and I, he played um, all the guitars and all the drums and our friend Michael Devon played bass. It's just the, actually the three of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, holy moly. And we went on, we toured it a bit, doing an acoustic, what we call the acoustic version of um, the songs, mm-hmm. when we went out with Queensryche, with Jeff Tate's Queensryche. So, so Jeff needed a drummer for his Queensryche uh, tour. Uh, this is like, yeah, 2014. And he needed a female singer on one song, Sister Mary. And so we said, well, Brian will play drums and I'll sing on Sister Mary if you let us open the show with our acoustic stomp, which is like so weird if you think about it, because it's like this acoustic stuff. It was just him, Tishy, me and, me and Brian, Tishy, uh-huh. and he was playing acoustic guitar, 
a kick and a hi-hat. Okay. And I was singing. That's and awesome. that was, it was, and I mean, these are people that are coming to see like a Queensryche show, you know what right, I'm saying? Right. They're not really expecting any kind of acoustic stuff. So being able to pull that off was uh, kind of miraculous and a whole lot of fun. You can see a little bit of it, of, of our acoustic stomp stuff on, um, on YouTube, actually. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a Seth Jordan acoustic stomp. I think that's what you'd have to search for if you want to see any of it. It's pretty wild. Awesome. It sounds like it. But I think as as we get older, even though we might be fans of, of one particular genre when we were younger, like Queensryche as a band, you get a little older and maybe having a different opening act that's a little different isn't so far from your, your own interest because it's kind of broadened. So maybe it kind of does work these days. I agree. And and the thing is, is I mean, all the the festivals and stuff that I do in Europe, it's like the most bizarre, eclectic mishmash of different styles and different bands. Like, I remember one one year, this is of course in the 90s, but doing a festival where uh, I go on and mm-hmm. the band after me was Tool. Mm-hmm. And then it was some, <laughs> and then it was some like, like country violin fiddle band. It was so wild, but so cool. Well, you think- get like exposed to all these different it's just the best. Yeah, I love and it. as long as they're good. I mean, I think people get drawn in by talent. Yeah. When when you start yeah. doing something and they're like, well, this wasn't what I came to hear, then they hear something amazing. You're like, wow, they're really good. You can, you can draw them in any way, you know? So, but I to, agree. I think you could even sing with Tool. That'd be awesome. In fact, if, if I recall, Perfect Circle was written for a female singer originally, and they didn't, uh, and they ended up doing, doing it themselves. So. Oh, how funny. That would have been interesting to hear you on. Interesting. <laughs> and speaking of hearing you on, I think people who haven't heard you sing, who might be listening to this, need to hear you sing. So we should take a moment and play something. Um, I've got some of your old stuff queued up, but I also have some songs you sent me. And I wanted to ask you about uh, Crazy Crazy Head and play that track. Oh, that's that's a, a something unto nothing sun. That's sun, okay. sun track. That's me and Brian Tishy. Um, again, it was it, like, it was in the afternoon mm-hmm. in the canyons, Santa Clarita, canyon country. And we just were having one of our insane days and it just <laughs> came flying out, you know, like within, I'd say half an hour mm-hmm. we'd written it. And then we just immediately recorded it. Like that's this what you hear is exactly as it came out. Wow. That's Does that make cool. sense? Does that yeah, make even totally. sense? That made any sense? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they come that way, sometimes they don't. They come in bits and pieces and you work and work and work and other times they're Not just straight me. inspiration, man. Not me, Adam. I they're always that way. It doesn't come out immediately like, you know, whoosh, giving birth, uh-huh. instant. Boom. Interesting. And there's your new baby. Cool. Well, I know I saw you do that here, uh, not give birth to a baby, but certainly write a song <laughs> overnight. You guys, uh, we had to, to share, we had a session scheduled, and the singer had got food poisoning. Uh, Jim got sick the night before. So in the morning, we get a phone call, hey, I'm not coming, do something else. <laughs> and you guys had written the song overnight, you and Steve, and uh, we recorded mm-hmm. it that morning, and by the afternoon, we're cutting a vocal on the thing. Uh, it was incredible that you guys yeah. put that together. It turned out to be a great tune. And actually, that song that now I'm talking about that we probably can't play, it's not released. It'll be released later, uh, I think, at the end of May at that event. But um, that was pretty interesting for you, a little bit of a stretch, but not that far. Yeah, it's not, it, it's not really a style that I'm 
used to doing, but boy, we just, we you, just, you made it sad. Rushed that one out. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, it was, it was, it's an amazing lyric, that song. Okay. So, well, we'll really we won't helped. talk any more about that one until it comes out because we can't okay. really share that. But on Crazy <laughs> right. Head, is Crazy Head available if people want to pick it up? Oh, that is, that is actually the reason for the demise of Sun is that we were, you know, like we're definitely musicians and performers, but um, business people, we are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, as far as being able to buy it, I don't know where the heck you could get that now. I, you'd have to really do some searching. And the other thing is, is we could never figure out how to have it listed on stuff. So on some stuff, it's listed as something unto nothing. And on some stuff, it's listed as sun, as S dot U dot N dot. So it's just a complete confusing hot mess. Mm-hmm. Sad to say. Sad to say. <laughs> but there's some videos on YouTube. A confusing hot mess surrounding Sass Jordan. Hmm. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's, uh, let's check out Crazy Head. And then uh, we'll be right back here on the Auto D Show with Sass Jordan.
listening to Auto-D, coming at you live. And that was Crazy Head by Something Unto Nothing, featuring Sass Jordan on vocals here on the Auto-D show. That's a pretty badass track right there, Sass. It's a little pissy. It's, yeah, got a bit of attitude, and it's, the, track is, the track is heavy. Oh, yeah, that's pissy at the wheel there. I love that stuff, though, because it's like, who doesn't feel like that sometimes? You uh. know what I mean? It's like, it's exactly that. And I love that, that kind of uh, vibe and attitude because mm-hmm. it, it's a fantastic way to purge those emotions from yeah. you. You know what I mean? It's just like, and if, if you can imagine like a, a whole big audience going, yeah! Exactly. (laughs) It reminds me a little bit. I mean, I get the impression that maybe uh, Emily Armstrong was inspired by you. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's got a a group called Dead Sarah. Uh, They've had some. No, I've never heard of her. A little bit of success. You might want to check them out. She is. But I got to tell you something, Otto. Yeah. My, I, I feel she probably never heard of me either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every time I meet somebody who hasn't heard of you, I'm like, sit down. We did need oh, to talk. Dear. You have a problem. How do you not know this oh, woman? You know? Well, no. because it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, a, it's a very uh, niche kind of taste. I, I think, like, a, a female singing that kind of angry, uh, aggressive rock mm-hmm. is was not... Uh, something that was hugely um, accepted when I started, uh, you know, mm-hmm. playing, which is like in, in well, 1990, well, 89, mm-hmm. 90, you know, it, it was still not, uh, there was no skunk and Nancy at that time, I'll tell you. And I don't know, Otto, I don't know that it really still is acceptable in, in a lot of ways. I think it makes people uncomfortable in it's not everybody but it's definitely it's it's definitely an acquired taste and it's a certain taste the Mm -hmm. rockers love it right but uh it's not something you would you know be eating dinner to i certainly wouldn't (laughs) i would no no problem (laughs) you kidding me hey i want to ask you but i want to ask you about a record that i i didn't see go by and that was your first record on atlantic and i think it was called tell somebody which uh-huh. uh, had, yeah. was a Canadian hit, correct? Or had a couple of Canadian charts singles on that record? Oh God, yeah. Well, it was mainly. It, I have had more record companies. I've been on more record companies than you can shake a stick at, and I don't even remember half of them. So Atlantic was. It was just there for like, you know, ten seconds, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. It was. It was um, mainly a Canadian uh, release it, with a, a, a label called Aquarius Records back in the day. Um, not my most favorite of my records, but a lot of people, a lot of my fans do like that record a lot. But it's because it was, we, we, we made it all with, um, you know, court tracks and synthesizers. Not, there's no tuning on the vocals, though. You know how I am with that. Well, I love right, your fa- my favorite line of yours in the studio, especially when you're looking at a guitar player. Is, I love guitars. Keyboards, not so much. So much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love keyboards, but I, I don't. They don't have the I, same balls and attitude yeah. to punch you in the face no. that a guitar does, period. Sound like a guitar, Keith Richards, hello. Yeah, exactly. Angus Young, hello. So which you know, one of your of records them. would be your favorite if you had to pick one? Or does that change day to day when you uh, reminisce? Rats? Rats. Okay. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I mean, 
uh, I also really like the Sun record that no one can get a hold of, so that's yeah. lovely. And yeah. uh, <laughs> we need to do a record like that. Oh, dude, I, I would like to redo that one so that I'm people down. can actually hear it. I'm there. Yeah, that's let's, what I'd let's like make to that hear. record. Now, with Racine that came out in 92, you sold about uh, 450,000 copies, according to uh, stuff yep. I've looked at. So it never yep. really it cracked just, gold. You never quite got the gold exactly. record on that. Mm-hmm. I hate it when that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to, we need well, to get 50,000 people out to buy it still somehow. <laughs> the only record I was ever on that was dramatic mm-hmm. was uh, it sold something like 32 or 33 million. That's a lot. Yes, uh, it's, it's it's a fair little it's a fair amount, and it, but it was the Bodyguard soundtrack. I sang a song with Joe Cocker on the Bodyguard soundtrack, and that did, was a big seller. And how did all that because come? Of me. How did, of course, <laughs> I mean, who's ever heard of anybody else? You know, Kevin Costner or Whitney Houston or Joe Cocker. Never mind None Whitney of them. Houston. <laughs> That's right. So how did you get? How did you land that gig? Well, it was um, it was it's a bit of a story. Have you got a minute? I've got a few. Okay, so. It was Kevin Costner was the director of the film. I think he might have even produced it, The Bodyguard, Mm -hmm. starring Whitney Houston. And he was a massive, huge fan of Joe Cocker. Mm -hmm. And he wanted Joe Cocker on the soundtrack. And there was a particular song, which is called Trust in Me, which is a song, that he wanted to use on the soundtrack. Now, that song had a... um, had an Australian singer whose name I don't even know singing with uh, Joe on Mm -hmm. it originally. And he was like, I want to do this song, but I want to replace the vocalist with with somebody from now. Mm -hmm. At the time. This was back in whenever the heck it was. I think 1992, 93. I don't know, whenever the body card. Anyway, so um, he was driving around L.A. one day, and one of my songs came on the radio, and he went, that's the voice. That's the one I want. That's who I want. So that's basically how that came about. So when you went in to sing the track, Joe was, was done. So you didn't. Joe meet, was not there. Yeah, it you didn't meet my, him then. It, nope. It was me and Chris Lord Algae. Oh, perfect. Well, and did you ever meet Joe afterwards? I toured with him for like four months afterwards, and I did not meet him until the last night. You're kidding me. Of the tour, I swear to God. He was that intimidating. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know because I was I was opening the show, so I'd have to leave for the next show right after the sh- like. Yeah, we, it was a traveling thing, uh, but I knew his managers. Anyways, the last night of the show, Lindsay, one of his managers, was Lindsay and Roger, Roger. So, anyways, so Lindsay said, "Fact, you got to meet Joe. You got to meet Joe." So I'm the okay. I go in and I'm like, "Oh, it's so great to meet you, Joe." Man, it was such a, a an unbelievable experience singing on that song with you and, uh, and he and he's like looking at me and he's like uh uh what song <laughs> i love it and Lindsay, Lindsay jumps in and he's like oh my god i uh they replaced the whoever the girl's name is on on trusting me you know the bodyguard or this that the other and Joe's like oh oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> that's nice he had no freaking clue it was the best and i'm like oh nice nice one i have to say singing yeah. oh, that song with joe cocker in in the studio singing with his track in mm-hmm. the studio i have to tell you i learned 40 percent more about phrasing 
it was one of the most extraordinary experiences. Just really? listening to that man's phrasing. That man is yeah. just one of the absolute greats of all time. Yeah, yeah I'm a huge fan. Yeah. In yeah. fact, did you see him in the movie um, Across the Universe? I didn't see that film. I should see that film, right, Mr. John Otto Lennon? Um, well, you know, <laughs> hey, wow, thanks. You got all my names right. <laughs> but uh, the, it's a good film. If you're a Beatles fan, it's a great film. Uh, Julie Taymor did an incredible job directing it. I remember telling a friend of mine who knew her, I said, look, you can tell her if she's not married, I'll marry her now. I don't even need to meet her. That movie's perfect. Wow. And then, uh, you know, I know it's supposed to be great, yeah. Well, yeah. it was really great, but but uh, Joe actually played a couple characters and sang a couple songs. Uh it's just, or maybe one tune, but he played like two or three different characters in the in the time frame of the song. I think it was one of my daughter's favorite films. To be honest with you, I I, I have to see it. It's ridiculous that I haven't seen it. It really is. It's it's odd. It's so incredibly odd that that could even be done when you when you look at what she did, how she did it. The cast was incredible, and the, and the soundtrack was incredible. Is it you and McGregor in it? Sorry, I'm talking over. Oh, I, oh gosh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Who the heck is the, the lead? Well, anyway, it doesn't it's matter. A, it's a, it really, it was a bunch of the guys, um, Jim Burgess, a bunch of the guys that were in uh, Rent at the time. She kind of took the cast because they had a, a vibe see. and kind of brought it all into the film. <clears throat> but they were, it was, they were all great. It was a lot of fun. You might, might enjoy checking that out. But enough about Very movies cool. we like. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a bunch, a bunch more music we could play, and we're, you know, we're we're forty minutes into into the show, and that's ridiculous because I need you for a few hours just to, to chat. Oh, but you and, did, and believe me, I can talk for a few hours. I know, so I got to keep shifting this thing and, and go through all these different points. I'd like to touch on the, the vagina monologues and how you felt doing that show. I want to talk about your Janis Joplin stuff. Uh, I want to play some of the original records, but first, how did you get into this? Where did you come from? Uh, being born well, and being raised. I mean, how did you come into music? How did you discover this whole thing? Well, I did, when I was eight years old, my brother and I grew up in a household where our parents only ever listened to classical music. And, it, you know, it was the 60s, and music was not ubiquitous everywhere you went at that time. Like, you wouldn't walk into a sh shop and have, like, music playing. Every, mm -hmm. Like, everywhere you go now, there's always music everywhere, which you don't notice. But when I think, you know... It wasn't happening like that in the early 60s when my brother and I were growing up, So, um, or the late 60s, actually. So when I was eight years old, he and I, actually, I wasn't eight, I was nine, we discovered that you could turn the dial on the, on the radio and something different would come out from Beethoven. or hey, It was the most extraordinary experience. very first song I remember hearing that had a beat. Mm -hmm. was the night they drove old Dixie down by the band. And I was over the moon. I freaked out. My mom said she came home from the, the supermarket, and I went rushing to her, and I said, Mom, Mom, I know what I'm, I I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. And she, she, never, she never let me forget that. And, it, and from that moment on, it just, I just became completely immersed in, in music, in, in pop, what we would call you know, popular music, and I never, ever lost track. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to make other people feel the way that music made me feel. That's what I wanted. I wanted other people to know that they are never alone, and there's always somebody that had the same feeling that they're having right now. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and that was the motivation. And I never lost track of it until I got much older where well, now I'm all distracted. Like, can you say social media? <laughs> and when you were coming up, you started playing bass for a little while. Started what? Playing bass for a little while. Oh, yeah. I was a bass player in, in, in my band, in one of my bands. Mm-hmm. It was a band called The Pinups after the Bowie album mm-hmm. of the same name. Yeah, I was the bass player. I was I, I played bass in that band like six nights a week, six sets a night practically, touring all over Ontario and the Maritimes and uh, uh, Quebec. Mm-hmm. And um, I got fairly good at it and then I thought to myself self I want to be a solo artist so that I don't have to argue with my band members <laughs> and I don't you know and uh, I'm going to stop playing bass because I don't want to lug this thing around for the rest of my life and that's sadly what happened <laughs> sound about sadly but isn't there a, a great freedom when you're not wearing something that's plugged into something else and you can just grab there the microphone is, but- and run around and scream well, there, there is, but it, 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 it's not as easy just to play with anybody. Because if I could play, if I was still a bass player, I could play in any band. You know, like right. I could just get up and play. But not every band needs a female lead singer. Right. You know well, what I'm well yeah, so maybe it, most it, bands probably. There's could pros use and cons one. both ways. Right. Okay. Well, listen. Tell me about, or better yet, maybe let me play another track, and then I want to hear about uh, your experience with this Janis Joplin project. I'm not even sure of the name of it, but I want to hear a little bit about that. So I want to go back and play a tune, uh, "Make You a Believer" off of uh, Racine, I think. Before mm-hmm. Rhodes, and was this the first single from that record, or was it, or was it the biggest song from that record? It was definitely the biggest song from that record. I don't remember if it was the first single or not, because it. It would, I don't know if it, oh, I don't remember. Okay, Otto. don't even worry, because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, we're not going to go any farther until I find out, Sass. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll just go ahead and play it. And um, how, Google so, is your friend. Yeah, exactly. So this record, like I said, I had it back in the day, loved it. And uh, when they told me you were coming into town and I was going to be recording you singing, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This kid was amazing, and I couldn't wait to hear you, and you still have every bit of what you had back in the day, so the day is still here, you know, you should be singing everywhere yeah. all the time, so oh, uh, that's just my thought, but let's go uh, check out a little bit of Make You a Believer by Sass Jordan, be right back.
You're listening to R.O.D. Coming at you live. And that was Make You a Believer from Sass Jordan here on the Auto D Show. Another amazing track. I love that song, Sass. Yay! That's Johnny Lee Shell on guitar there. Cool. Great. It's just a great track and a great, you know, great band for the recording. So tell me a little bit about this Janis Joplin project I've been reading about. Uh, that was a... Uh, oh. <laughs> it was an accident, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It was... I, I was sitting at home one day uh, back in 1991, and um, it was an email. I got an email and it was asking me to come down to New York and audition for this off-Broadway production they were doing called Love Janice, and I was not a Janice Joplin fan. So I wasn't really interested in doing that, except for the fact that one of my best friends in the world, Loretta, lived in New York. And I figured, wow, a free flight to New York. I'll go down. I'll do this audition. I don't want it. So it doesn't matter. And um, I'll fly back. I'll hang out with Loretta and fly back the same night. Woohoo! This sounds good to me. And that's what I did, except for I accidentally got the dang part which really freaked me out because i'm like i can't do that i don't i it's it was 19 janice joplin songs a night and there was there was um dialogue and i'm not an actor you know i'm Mm -hmm. like i can't oh my god anyways it was one of the toughest things i've ever done in my life four months in new york off Broadway, it was a really grueling schedule for me. But in the meantime, I got myself one of the greatest vocal coaches of all time. And I'd never, ever done vocal coaching before that because I'd gone to one once and they said if I kept singing the way I sang, I would lose my voice forever and never be able to talk. So I was right. like, yes, well, so much for vocal coaches. I'll see you later. So, <laughs> and But then, you know, with this schedule for this off-Broadway thing, 19 Janice songs a night. I was like, holy macaroni, how am I going to do this without losing my voice? Um, so I got hooked up with this incredible vocal coach by the name of Don Lawrence, who is, uh, who like has coached like Bono and Mick Jagger. And he's actually uh, Lady Gaga's vocal coach who knew. I didn't know that. But anyway, he taught me how to sing. He taught me how to sing properly without without ruining or destroying my voice and also still being able to sing the way that I sing. So that was one of the greatest things that came out of that. That and also getting to sing the uh, American and Canadian National Anthem at um, Madison Square Garden for a hockey game mm-hmm. right after 9-11, which uh-huh. was an insane experience. I, I can say that I played at Madison Square Garden and everybody started screaming my name. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Even though it was just a national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it takes. Yeah. Hey, yeah, baby. Well, listen, there's lots of other stuff we could touch on, and you tell me, pick one of these. Um, the famous musicians that have come through your band to make their music career, or the day mm-hmm. you almost became Van Halen's lead singer. Which story is the most tired, or which one do you want to talk about? Uh, well, I, you know what? I... <laughs> The Van Halen one's kind of long, so the famous musicians, well, it, it's really more a thing that people that played in my band went on to play in really big bands, like for 
one of my first drummers played with Celine Dion for years. And of course, the most well-known of them all, Taylor Hawkins, who's in the Foo Fighters, the first band that he was ever in was my band. Um, we, I remember he was living down in Laguna Beach in California, and we were looking for me and uh, my um, musical partner at the time, Stevie Sellers, were looking for a drummer. And this guy said, well, you should check out my friend Taylor. He's killer. So Taylor drove up and came to audition for us. And he was, <laughs> oh, my God. He, he was already, you could tell he was like 22 years old. You could tell he was going to he was going places because mm-hmm. just because he was such a spectacular human being, which he is to this day. Um, and he came in and he was all over the place. <laughs> he played like 50,000 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. We had to rein him in. And, but he ended up being absolutely a spectacular addition. And then I, at the end of my, of a tour that I was doing in 19, 19- 93, I was touring with Steve Perry, and it was the last night of the show in, excuse me, the, of, the, of the tour in, uh, in L.A. And there was uh, this guy that was a manager, friend of my managers at the time, Scott was his name, and he was backstage with this girl that he was managing, this Canadian girl that he was managing, and they were looking for musicians for her band because she was just uh, about to release a record. Anyways, they, she hired... Taylor and my guitar player Nicole Ashley and they and they went out on the road because I said for sure guys you're musicians you know I'm going on hiatus I don't know how long I'm going to be off Mm -hmm. you go out and do this you know you're musicians you need a job get a take the job so they were out for four months and in the fifth month the girl became the biggest star in the world her name is Alanis Morissette (laughs) and that was how that was how Taylor, that was Taylor's trajectory. And mm-hmm. then, of course, he's now with the Food Fighters and has been with them for, I don't know, 15 years, a very right. long time. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. incredible. You can see uh, me singing with uh, the Food Fighters on YouTube if you if you just uh, Google SAS and Food Fighters. Yeah, I've, I've actually checked that one out. It is very cool. Yeah. And then, uh, and speaking of that, how else can people find you? Do you have a website uh, you can direct people to? I sure do. I uh, sure do. By the extraordinarily odd name of FastJordan.com. <laughs> I had a funny feeling it would be something strange like that. It's so difficult. And since we aren't uh, on TV yeah. and I'm not holding up your album covers, that is S-A-S-S-J-O-R-D-A-N.com. Yes. Awesome. It's F with an S in front of it. <laughs> yes. That's my name. Yeah, that's a funny story too. But that's not your given name at birth, correct? No, that's but that's the name I've been called my whole life. That's uh-huh. what my parents called me. That's what, yeah. Oh, so, cool. Uh, and, yeah. And we didn't really, you know, a lot of times I like to have my guests talk a little bit about that whole family thing. We didn't really touch on the fact that you were born in Birmingham, England, moved to France when you were very young, and then to I think mm-hmm. it was Montreal when you were about three. Yeah. You've toured the world. Um, you've been everywhere. So where where do you feel is like the coolest place to be or, or the coolest music scene for that matter? Is there one for you? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, it's pretty much wherever people enjoy the music that you do. It doesn't really matter where it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as music scenes, uh, I love Europe. 
I love the United, I love Canada. I love the United States. I've never been to Australia. I've never been to South America. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Russia. I've never been to any of those places. I'd like to get a chance to go and play in those places one of these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's on your radar screen right now in terms of uh, new music projects? Are you currently writing, or do you just wait for inspiration? Do you have plans for another um, record? No, I'm about. Yeah, I'm. I'm about to to um, start recording sometime this year. I should. I really we're in the planning phases of it, and it's mm-hmm. just getting everybody together at mm-hmm. the same time is always that's always a challenge. Mm-hmm. But I want to do. I'm doing a record of my ten top cover songs. Oh, cool! I want to. I'm really excited about doing that, and also going to do an EP of new stuff. And hopefully, both of those will be out this year. But it could, you know, it it could, you know, how time flies. Yeah. yeah so it it could, uh, you know, go into next year. I just, you know, I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a performer, and many other things, you know, obviously. And it's just any chance you get to do these things and to work with different people like yourself, which is a fabulous experience. Oh, well, thank um, you. You know, that's it. That's I, I live for that. You know, I love music. Music makes me happy. It makes a lot, of, and it makes a lot of other people happy too. Do you recall yeah. a couple of shows, a couple of concerts that might be most memorable for one reason or another that you performed? Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's been, you know, countless incredible mm-hmm. things that I've been involved in. One that was that really stands out in my mind is was the um, SARS relief concert in 1993 in Toronto with the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And there was only there were only two females on the bill, myself and uh, Kathleen, uh, who's oh my god, I seriously I just forgot Edwards, Kathleen Edwards, okay, and me, and the rest was all you know um, uh, guy singer bands, including ACDC, of course, the Rolling Stones, even Justin Timberlake, Rush, mm-hmm. uh, the original version of the Guess Who. Um, oh my god, there was so many bands on that on that uh, bill, but it was extraordinary because it was like 750,000 people. And, and Jeff Healy, the late, great Jeff Healy, mm-hmm. guitar player, blues guitar player, played with me on Make You Believer oh, on really? that uh, show. Yeah, actually, again, you can see that on YouTube as well. And it was, that was a really intense and powerful, fun experience. But I would say that any time you get on a stage, there's something special about it because it's it's a gathering. I always call it the gathering of the tribes. You know, it's a mm-hmm. gathering of people, and we're all there to to be uplifted and inspired and to forget about you know every everyday concerns for that hour hour and a half. And mm-hmm. it's just you know something magical about. It. I love live music. Live music is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody you'd, you've always wanted to do a duet with that the opportunity hasn't presented itself? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, yes. You can say I mean, no, Otto. I've never thought about that. That's fine. Too. Well, I have, but okay. the people that I'd love to do that with are so remote from me that I like D'Angelo. I right. freaking love D'Angelo. I love a lot of stuff that you wouldn't. Uh, automatically think of me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a lot of the people that I'd love to do that with are no longer with us. Right. Tom Petty, Amy Winehouse. Uh, right. But uh, there's also a lot that are, 
And, uh, the first one I, that comes to mind offhand would be D'Angelo, but there's like there's stop, like tons of them. Uh-huh. There's tons of them. And I, if somebody said, "Hey, would you want to do this?" I'd be like, "Sure, let's check it out." <laughs> All right, we just need to make some phone calls and set that up. Oh yeah, because really, I'm, I'm up for anything. Because your style really could go up against any rock artist and blend any gospel artist really because of the bluesy style of your rock singing and any blues artist i mean we got all that's right there that's a whole lot of people so we can yeah, oh my goodness i love funk and mm-hmm. r&b stuff mm-hmm. as well i love uh, you know like huge fan of that uh, oh boy and then of course i love brazilian jazz so that fits right in there doesn't it not <laughs> <laughs> Oh, who knows? You just have to try harder, that's all. So is Derek going to be producing this new record with you? Or do you know, has that worked uh, no. out yet? Is he too busy? He's so busy with the Guess Who, and they got a record uh, coming out, too. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. I, he might, it, 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 he and I will always be working together. Cause, <clears> you know. Well, I'll, I'll clear my schedule for the rest of the year. So if you need any help... <laughs> As a producer, writer, engineer, someone to get you a coffee and tell you that's a good idea, Sass. Just give me a call. (laughs) Oh, you got it, baby. I'll be right there for that record, I'll tell you. Well, listen, we're running out of time. Uh, I so much appreciate that you've taken the time to visit with me today. And uh, again, it was just an absolute pleasure to have the opportunity to work with you. And I sure hope it won't be long before I have another opportunity. Oh, I'd love that, Otto. And it was a blast talking to you, too. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my goodness. And I'm glad you got back home and the weather was beautiful. It's incredible here as well. And I hate to think of somebody leaving Arizona and going to Canada. It always kind of makes me sad when we think about the weather. So I'm, I'm glad it's beautiful back home. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, take, got it. take care, my friend. Talk, I will. You too, Dick. Talk to you soon. Ciao.